The reading of God's Word this morning comes from Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 11. Hear the Word of the Lord. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear, to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, Walk by the light of your fire, and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as your children, uh, thankful for the good gifts you have lavished upon us, and In these tithes, these offerings, uh, these gifts, we simply return to you what you have first given to us. But we ask that you would use these in order that your kingdom would be revealed here and throughout the world. That you would use these gifts in order that the good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, we pray that you would be merciful to us as we prepare to sit beneath your word. At the same good news we long to have proclaimed throughout the world, we pray that it would be proclaimed to us this morning, that you would lead us to Jesus, that you would lead us to Jesus and remind us of the wonderful good news of the gospel, that because of his person and his work, we can freely admit that we are broken, far more fallen, far more sinful than we could have ever really imagined about ourselves. But at the same time, that we can also, because of Jesus, know that we are fully loved, completely secure, and completely approved of in your sight. We pray that you would allow us to see this by grace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This summer, um, we've been looking at some passages in Isaiah, uh, and we've been recently looking at, in the past few weeks, uh, what uh, scholars call the servant songs of Isaiah or the songs of the servant. Um, this servant in Isaiah, it, it's a, he's a mysterious figure in Isaiah, but by the time we get to the Gospels, All the gospel writers tell us that Isaiah is, in fact, writing about 
Jesus himself. And so each week we've been looking at these passages in Isaiah, and we've been learning something about Jesus, about who he is and about what he came to do. And as we, we start looking this morning together at Isaiah chapter 50, um, I think we see here something about the transforming love of Jesus. Um, I'm going to make my introduction fairly brief this morning uh, so that we can really jump right into this passage. And part of the reason, uh, hopefully you'll allow me to do that, is because I think I don't think I need to make an argument uh, this morning that we all need love. Um, it's something we, most of us understand. Um, but instead, I want us to realize from the start that beneath all of our searching for, all our searching and all our hoping for romantic love or the love of friends or the uh, approving love of a parent or, uh, or our peers, that beneath that all is a deep desire for a love that can come into us that will really transform us. To all those other loves, they're, they're good and they're great, right? But beneath them all is this desire for a love so deep, so perfectly aimed at our brokenness, a love so resilient, a love so strong and sacrificial that it won't just heal what's broken in us, but that it will actually set us free and transform us to be what and who God made us to be. So that's where I think Isaiah 50 is pushing us this morning, to see the transforming love of Jesus. So we're going to jump right in, and I want us to see these three things in Isaiah chapter 50. I want us to see the tender love of the servant. I want us to see the strong love of the servant. And I want us to see the costly love of the servant. So first, the tender love of the servant. Verse 4, this servant, we are told, knows how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Right? This is the tender love of the servant. I I don't want to re-preach Isaiah 42, which we looked at a, a few weeks ago. But if you happen to be here a couple of weeks ago, we heard some beautiful metaphors of the tender love of this servant in that passage, that a bruised reed he will not break. A, a, a dimly burning wick he will not quench. Right? This servant's love is so very, very tender, we are being told. Right? He moves towards the brokenhearted. He moves towards the bruised, towards those who are beaten up. Right? He moves towards those who are discouraged, those who are worn out, and those who just feel completely spent and used up. No matter how broken, barely holding on and hurt, His love is perfectly aimed at our weariness, at our weakness. His tender love will give you just what you need, right? He's able to sustain you with just a word. Bruised, he will tenderly come, and he will not break you, right? He will make you strong again, right? Dimly burning, but barely holding on, that we sometimes feel tenderly he'll protect you, and he'll rekindle the flame again. I really want you to do your best to be honest, and um, if you can, to let, let down your guard for a moment. As As Americans, I don't think that the evidence of our 
weariness is really found in our tears um, so much as it is found in our laughter. Uh, Probably 15 years ago, I remember hearing of someone visiting America and observing and commenting that Americans must be a deeply sad and empty people because they spend so much time laughing. Um, You know, we have the resources, and we have the entertainment, and we have all the distractions, and we have learned very well how to avoid and how to numb and how to escape. We know how to ignore our deep brokenness, right, our weariness, and, and, and our emptiness. Right? In, in the book 1984, George Orwell, his, his big fear was of a coming day um, when an external oppression would enslave, right, and deprive and, uh, and crush people under its weight, right, and, and would be our undoing. But there was another author near that same time period who wrote um, Brave New World, Aldous Huxley, right? And he feared something very different, right? He feared something that I think is far closer to the truth. As he put it, he feared man's infinite appetite for distractions, right? We're amusing ourselves to death, right? It's keeping us from coming weary and broken and bruised and faintly burning to the tender love of this servant. What if we could just stop, what if we could just sober up for a moment to the mounting evidence in our lives that we are unbelievably and deeply flawed and broken people living in a deeply flawed and broken world. It's uncomfortable, but we aren't even the people we want to be, much less the people we know we should be, right? We often feel alone and scared, and we feel misunderstood, and we feel abandoned. We don't want to think too long about how hopeless and helpless we really feel ourselves to be. You know, there are some moments that I think when this, it kind of sneaks past our defenses, and all the ways we try to numb and avoid and escape. And in those sober moments, we, we, do, we feel so very thin and fragile and burned and on the edge of going out, doing just what we can to get tomorrow. The promise of Isaiah 50 is the tender love of the servant, perfectly aimed at our deepest needs, But see, you have to be able and willing to admit that need, right? You have to be willing to admit your weariness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote, Now come as the sinner you are to your God who loves you, right? The mask, he writes, you wear in the presence of others won't get you anywhere in the presence of God. In the presence of Christ, human beings were allowed to be sinners, And only in this way could they be helped. Every pretense comes to an end in Christ's presence, he writes. See, there really is incredible good news for us in the tender love of the servant because it doesn't matter who you are. And it doesn't matter what you've done. And it doesn't matter how how big you've blown it this past week. right? And it doesn't matter what's been done to you. Come to him weary is the promise. Come to him as the sinner you are, and he will tenderly 
sustain you with a word. To know you are fully loved like this, not at the point of your beauty, right, but at your weakness, right? Love like that, I'm telling you and will continue to tell you this morning, if you get that and it gets deep in your soul, it will transform you to know that you are loved like that. Second, I want us to see the strong love of the servant here. You know, in separating these things out, I I hope you understand that all these come together, right? It's not either you get the tender love or the strong love or the costly love. We get all of these in this servant, in Jesus, right? We get them all together. But here's what I mean by his strong love. If you look at verse 5, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, he says. I turned not backward. Verse 6, I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Verse 7, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. You know, as you read through the passage, you see what this servant is facing, right? Being struck, his beard pulled out, right? Being spit upon and mocked and accusations and his adversaries, right? This is a strong, courageous love we are being told about. It is an unquitting. It is an undeterred. It is a bold, never giving up, and unstoppable love. Right? And if you and I are going to be transformed, we need to be convinced of this servant's strong love for us. Right? It's a love that will not be intimidated. It's a love that won't be frightened and won't shrink back. You've heard me say this before if you've been here for a while, but relationships are very tricky things. Um, uh, On the one hand, we're made for them, right? It's It's etched into our DNA. It's unavoidable. We know we want them, we need them, we have to have them. But on the other hand... There's nothing in this life that so terrifies us as relationships. Because we know that to be in relationship is to be at risk, is to be vulnerable, right? I mean, you think about it, why are we so guarded in our relationships? Why do we hold back the real us? I mean, why do you hide such dark, shameful secrets about yourself from others? I mean, why do you spin the truth so consistently to make yourself look good? Why do you revise history about yourself? Why do you... Why? We know we need these relationships. But why do we not... Why do we only let others get so close, right? We, We keep the arm out, right? At arm's length. That's close enough, thank you very much, right? We can go on. It's because we're afraid, Because we are deeply afraid. We are afraid that if someone saw, if someone even just got a glimpse at what's really inside of us, we are afraid that they would what? That they would shrink back in horror. Right? That they would look for the nearest exit. Right? That they wouldn't just back away from us. They would run from us. In disgust. What is Isaiah 50 saying? Saying this servant's love is strong and it will not be intimidated. It will not shrink back. 
It will not be frightened. And if you can take that in and believe it, it is deeply transforming. I've watched almost every 30 for 30 film uh, that ESPN uh, puts out. And one of their documentaries um, is about a basketball player named Chris Heron. And the title of the film is Unguarded. and I I think it's probably one of my favorites. there's way too much in his story to get into much detail, but Chris Heron was from a small town in Massachusetts, and he married his girlfriend that he met in the seventh grade, right? And they, they ended up having two children, uh, two or three, I can't remember. But anyway, he had this terrible drug addiction that followed him throughout his life, right? All kinds of things, you name it. Cocaine, heroin, meth, Oxycontin, all the stuff, right? And he drug his family and his wife through unbelievable fear and terror and abandonment, right, and pain. And he ended up getting some help. Um, but after, you know, after soaring to the top, I mean, Massachusetts boy comes home to play for the Boston Celtics. He was a hero. But then he crashed, right, with all of this drug addiction, and he felt deep shame in his life. It's fascinating to me that in this story that after getting help, what he marked as a pivotal moment in his life um, was the day he realized that he stopped shaving and brushing his teeth in the shower. Um, and he said that for six years, he'd always brought his toothpaste, toothbrush, and Razor into the shower with him, and he shaved in the shower. And he didn't even he didn't even realize that he had stopped doing that. Till one day, his his wife Heather said, "Why am I not finding the razor and the toothbrush in the in the shower anymore?" And he said that he had to stop and really think about it. And what he said was that he realized that it was because he could finally look himself in the mirror. Right? See, through the years. His wife, Heather, right, she, she, and she says this in the document, she felt a ton of pressure to just leave him and be done with him. But she didn't quit. And she didn't stop, right? And she loved him fiercely and toughly. And she didn't shrink back. And it was a strong love that transformed him. I mean, this is what she said. They dated since the seventh grade, right? And she said, He is more alive now than I have ever seen him in my entire life. I think we would call that transformation, right? See, you you may or you may not be a drug addict, but what's your thing, right? That you're terrified to let anyone know, right? Your use of porn, your greed, your petty jealousies. Right, your extreme self-centeredness, the way you manipulate and play other people around you, your cowardice in life. I, I don't know what it is for you, but if you could be convinced that someone saw everything inside of you to a degree you don't even understand about yourself and would love you with a fierce, unstoppable, undeterred love, unshrinking love, it would make you more alive than you've ever been in your entire life. It would transform you. 
Look, in Luke 9, 51, there's an echo of Isaiah 50, verse 7, uh, where in Isaiah 50, verse 7, it says, I set my face like a flint, right? Because in Luke 9, 51, it says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. What was in Jerusalem? An angry mob who would accuse him, right? His enemies, who though he was innocent, would declare him guilty. A mob who would strike him, who would pull his beard out and spit upon him. Jesus knew you and he knew Isaiah 50. He came to fulfill it. He knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem and that he was going there to pay for your sins and mine and not his own. He set his face like a flint and he didn't shrink back even when the cross loomed before him. The lacerated back that we read about in Isaiah 50 and in the Gospels, the spitting, the pulling out of his beard, that's how Jesus says, I love you, right? And no one can love you any stronger than he has and can. Okay, finally, last point, the costly love of the servant, and then I want to end with a few brief applications. Verse 6 is really the hinge verse of this passage, um, and in particular where the servant says, I gave my back, and so on. See, the scholar Alec Moitier, he, he points out that this could easily be translated because of the verb tense here. I determined to offer. Right? See, everything in this passage is saying that this servant is innocent and blameless, never rebellious. Right? Look, this actually becomes extremely and directly clear in the next servant song that we're going to look at next week in Isaiah 53. Um, but it's certainly implied here in this passage. This servant didn't suffer and eventually fully give himself over to death because he deserved it. But because we deserved it. Right? His love for you is this costly. The ultimate price he gave his life for you. Now, listen to me closely. If there is a love that will transform you deeply, it's got to be a love that's not just tender and not just strong, but it has to be costly. It has to be sacrificial. Right? A criticism that's often made against Christianity goes something like this. You know, I can't believe in a God like this. A God who would have to send his son to be brutalized and to die in order to save us. It's barbaric. It's bloodthirsty, right? You know, if he's God, why can't he just love us and save us instead of sacrificing his son like this? Listen, it's because God does not love you cheaply. His love for you is costly. That's the only kind of love that can come inside of you and deeply transform you. And the whole of our lives tells us that this is true. If you try to love the poor, 
If you try to love the oppressed, if you try to love the mistreated without sacrifice, if you try to love your spouse, and if you try to love your children without sacrifice, they will pay the price. Right? There will be a cost if you don't assume it. They will pay it, and there will be no change, and there will be no freedom, and there will be no transformation without cost and sacrifice. You know, I realize that I'm very often saying things like, you know, all the other stories that we read, you know, are trying really to copy this story. Um, I'm talk- the good stories, right? The best stories, the stories that we listen to, the stories we read, the stories we watch on the movie screen, the stories that we love to tell, the good ones, they all have echoes of this costly, sacrificial love. And you know why? Because Christian or not, we know that this is the only kind of love that can deeply transform anyone. Look, Instead of just saying that, though, like I often do, I'm going to give you a few examples this morning. Whoever you are, you've got to be familiar with at least one of these, okay? Professor Dumbledore, um, he explained to that little wizard Harry Potter, right, um, why, as a little baby, Lord Voldemort was not able to kill him, right? This is what he writes, or what she, what she writes, I guess, um, Dumbledore speaking. I knew, too, where Voldemort was weak. And so I made my decision, said Voldemort, or said Dumbledore, excuse me. You would be protected by an ancient magic of which he knows, which he despises, and which he always therefore underestimated to his cost. I am speaking, of course, of the fact that your mother died to save you. That's the central theme of Harry Potter, right? He goes on, she gave you a lingering protection he never expected, a protection that flows in your veins to this day. See if this sounds kind of gospely. I put my trust, therefore, in your mother's blood. Every year, Susan Collins tells us in the Hunger Games, right, um, the districts, they would sacrifice tributes every year. It was a to, to the Hunger Games, to a certain death, right? And when Primrose Everdeen, right, was selected as a tribute from District 12, um, if you've read these, or maybe seen the movies, you enter sister Katniss Everdeen, right? And says this, With one sweep of my arm, I push her behind me. I volunteer, I gasp. I volunteer as a tribute Costly, voluntary, sacrificial love. Game of Thrones, just briefly, not recommended reading. Um, I only read the first book. Dany, speaking with Miri Mazdur, said so plainly, I remember what you told me. Only death can pay for life. Okay, last but not least, a movie I watched when I was a kid... It's making a resurgence today, right? Star Wars. Um, See, I I knew William would perk up on that one. Um, All right. Um, I I don't know. A few of us probably remember this scene. Just tell tell it to you real quick here. Luke, Princess Leia, Han Solo, they're they're trying to get out of the Death Star, okay? 
and Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, right? He stayed back so he could um, disable or disengage the tractor beam, whatever he did. Well, he ended up getting in this great lightsaber fight with Darth Vader. Um, but something weird happened in that lightsaber fight, if you remember it, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi, he voluntarily stopped fighting. He turned his lightsaber off or disengaged it, whatever you do to a lightsaber, right? And he stood there, and he gave himself up. Right before Darth Vader struck him down, I don't know, anybody remember what Obi-Wan Kenobi said? <laughs> he said this, you can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. See, I think I'm right, right in this, that Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, Game of Thrones, and Star Wars, they were not written in order to capture the essence of the Christian faith. But it's unavoidable. And here's why. They all talk about costly sacrificial love because they know it's the only kind of love that can inspire us. It's the only kind of love that can really transform When Jesus gave his back, when he was struck down in your place, he released a power greater than you could possibly imagine. A love so deep, so strong, so costly, so perfectly aimed at our weakness that it would transform us entirely. Before we finish, let me give you just three brief applications of this this passage here. The first one is this, become a disciple of the Word. Because this theme runs through the entirety of the passage, if you look at it closely, right? This servant was able to love you straight and true. He was able to love you tenderly, strongly, and costly because he was a disciple of God's Word. He was taught, he was awakened by God's word, he heard and listened to God's word, he obeyed God's word. That's verses 4 and 5, right? Read the Gospels, and you look at Jesus, and you see that everything he does in his life, he does to fulfill the Scripture. It's literally bleeding out of him upon the cross when he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Jesus, and when you and I go to the Scriptures, what do you think its message is? Jesus told his disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 that all the Scriptures were all about him. They were all about his tender, strong, costly love. And you and I have to feed on that Word and saturate our lives with it. You know why? Because of verses 10 and 11. Because there he's saying, your experience in this life, even as a follower of Jesus, all right, will often feel as though you are walking in the darkness. This is a deeply flawed and broken world that we are living in. And it is those, verse 10 is telling us, who are in the dark but cling to the voice of the servant who actually have hope in the darkness. But verse 11, those who kindle their own fires, right? Those who look for hope in other voices. Those who look for hope and trust in others or trust in themselves, it's saying, 
they will lie down in torment. See, here's the thing. If Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the Word, right, as John calls him in his gospel, right, if the Word needed to saturate his life with the, with the Word, then how can you possibly handle life without it? Become a disciple of the Word and know his tender Strong and costly love. Second, give yourself wholly to the servant. The poet Wendell Berry wrote, When what was made has been unmade, the maker comes to his work. See, there's some bad news in the gospel, right? There's some bad news about us in this passage that levels us and undoes us and unmakes us. We're broken. We're weary. We're deeply flawed. But when you can admit that and come to this servant... The maker comes to his work, and he will transform you. The only fitting response to the one who fully gave his life for you is that you would fully give your life to him, wholly give your life to him, to stop kindling your own fires and give yourself to the one who gave himself for you, will be for you to find the true freedom of submission. Okay, third and last bit of application, become a servant of others. What will happen to you if you immerse yourself in the tender, strong, and costly love of the servant? Right? What will happen if you give up on yourself and give yourself wholly to the servant? You will find a love so perfect and so deep that it will set you free. That it will set you free from all your deepest shame and all your fears. This is the deeper love you are looking for beneath all your other loves. Okay, last little pop culture reference this morning, and we're done. Jackson Teller. He's the gritty, crass, violent biker in the TV uh, series Sons of Anarchy. Um, I know a lot of you are worried about me now, I'm sorry. But this is a, this is a great quote. Okay, he's writing a letter to his sons, and he, sa- he writes this. There will be days when you are forced to make decisions that affect the lives of everyone you love. Choices that will change you forever. You reach an age where you realize that being a man isn't about respect or strength. It's about being aware of all the things you touch. That's what he says. Children face inward wallow in their own selfish needs. Men face out and take actions on the needs of others. All of us, we are all naturally like children, and we are turned inward on ourselves. But get the tender, strong, and costly love of the servant, Jesus, deep in your heart, and it will turn you into the man or woman you were meant to be. It will begin to move you to take action on the needs of others. To not just have Jesus move towards the bruised and the dimly burning, but that you would start moving towards the burnt out and the despairing and the bruised and the beaten up and the used up the oppressed, and the worn out. That you would move 
become this kind of person. Because listen, how can it not transform you like this? The ultimate servant, his whole life was about facing out. His whole life was about taking action on your needs and mine. When he went to the cross and he gave himself up for us, you come to the ultimate servant and he will transform you and make you a servant. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for Jesus who learned your word, who was a disciple of your word, who listened to your word in order to fulfill every bit of it. And how we rejoice this morning to know that he fulfilled every bit of it for us. That he might love us tenderly, that he might love us with strength, that he might love us costly. Father, our prayer this morning as we end our time together is that you would make us like Jesus because we deeply understand that he was made sin in order to make us the righteousness of God. Father, help us to know deep in our hearts how much you love us in order that it would set us free and transform our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.